welcome. This is Mibbit Marketing and I am your host, Rachel Claver. I love helping small business owners become more confident and more capable with their marketing. So this podcast is all here to help you do just that. It's me and the help of some great guests helping you learn new skills, new strategies and ideas. Let's jump in and get started. A month ago, I got a mystery package in the mail. A colleague had sent me a surprise gift to say thank you for a referral. It was a box of beautifully packaged dehydrated fruit from a company called Little Beauties. The packaging looked gorgeous, the fruit inside tasted the same, and I wanted to find out more about this Nelson company. They sell Fijoa, which is a fruit known for its short season, so it was great to see it in something that had a bit of a longer shelf life. And the gold kiwi fruit was dipped in chocolate, which was a bit of a win for me. Thankfully, Tristan Wasney, the co-founder of Little Beauties, agreed to be on the show. Uh, Tristan now oversees the sales and marketing and helps arrange the exporting into the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Taiwan, Singapore, Japan, and new markets on the horizon. This Kiwi family-run business has grown to employ a team, developed some pretty incredible machinery, and become a sustainable method of using fruit otherwise designed for landfill. In this podcast, Tristan's going to share with us the story of how the business began, where it's sitting at the moment, and where he and his family believe it should go. We also talked about the cost of growth, the impact of going into supermarkets, and what it takes to create a brand that will become known on a world stage. For those of you that have got businesses that are not at that stage yet, let me reassure you, Tristan still goes to the Nelson Markets every week and sells there, and that's where they began. Humble beginnings and going from there to a world stage is possible, is doable, if you know what you need to count the cost of and what you need to do to make it happen. I'm really looking forward to sharing this podcast with you today with Tristan and finding out a bit more about Little Beauties and how they are taking over the world with New Zealand fruit. Hi and welcome to Mappet Marketing. I'm so excited today to have Tristan Wasney today with us. He is um, the, are you the um, co-owner or part owner of um, Little Beauties? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm one of the co-founders. Um, Fantastic. Director as well, yep. Fantastic. And he's going to come and talk to us today about what it's like to have a business that has a sustainable focus, an FMCG business, and how to grow that brand and and really quite a competitive market. Food and beauty and all those different markets are so saturated. And yet this is a business that's really shining out and showing their point of difference. Plus it's a Nelson company and I love companies that are based in Nelson's slight bias, I think. So he's going to come and share with us. Now, before he does, um, when we talk about these things, if you do want to come and talk about this podcast, do come and be part of the Mapit Marketing Facebook group and ask questions in there and just a nice little plug there too if you'd like to join in for the free giveaway I've got for my new book coming out in June I think this is the last week to enter that you can do that on the download link there too in the show notes right without further ado uh, Tristan welcome so much to the show it's so nice to have you here yeah well thanks for having me it's um yeah I always love connecting with with like-minded people so it's great yeah it's always exciting it's exciting to see cool businesses too and i um i you know i shared in that and in, in, in the intro but i had already seen your product but never bought it and then someone gave it to me as a gift and now i'm pretty i'm converted they're really great to have as emergency kind of snack packs especially like in the car and things like that where you're stuck somewhere and um they're also great for that kind of midwinter pick me up when the summer fruits have all gone which i think is great um so do you want to tell us a little bit about little beauties and how it came about and why it's different to other things on the market too that's a bit of a scary question to ask you right? yeah it is a bit <laughs> but um no no that's all good okay so i'll try and wrap this up relatively quickly because um yeah it's, it's quite a long story i guess how we how we all got started but we basically uh, my dad myself and my brother um and obviously my mom's been heavily involved over the years uh we we basically we we're on a dairy farm we or well, ex-dairy farm we started growing a whole bunch of uh fijoa trees and uh yeah for some reason basically because dad my dad loves fijoas me uh, too i totally get it and they make a lot of fijoas like i've only got one two trees and it's more than our family can handle oh that's right so we've we we planted around 1100 trees um well, okay on, yeah he definitely yeah. likes them yeah he definitely <laughs> likes them he's obsessed with them so um 
and at the time uh we were looking at that going, what are you doing you know it's not a good commercial fruit mm-hmm. to grow really um you know they only harvest for you can harvest them for sort of six to to ten weeks of the of the year depending on what varieties um and you know you don't get paid much for them um and it's they're, they're quite a fickle fruit to harvest because you have to touch pick them so as soon as they fall on the ground they're classed as a processed fruit and basically gets left on the ground it's, it's most growers uh struggle to find a market for that fruit wow no, okay so first that is super interesting to me because when they drop they're ripe right yeah that's, that's correct so the key the thing with the jars is that they've got no shelf life so yes, that's what i've heard yeah so they only <laughs> last as soon as there's like a, a very um sharp curve of ripeness so they sort of um they're not ripe, not ripe. they get to this point where they're perfect and then they just go rotten like an avocado our, our yeah, yeah, like an favorite avocado. New Zealand yep. fruit Fijo is an avocado our two things that we love yeah that's correct <laughs> yep, yep. so um so I guess yeah so we, we've got all these all these fruit trees um I was at the time my background's in agriculture and I was overseeing a couple of big dairy farms here in the region um my brother uh, who's also been very involved uh he's a he's a co-founder too uh he's running a design team agency in Hamilton so we're very very busy um and we're we're looking at what dad's doing and uh, dad's like well you know I'm trying to I want to grow for I want to make this small block of land that we have left in the family um profitable for the family so hopefully uh, all the children and things there's something here when I die mm-hmm. so that was the ultimate goal for my dad was to how do I add value to the land how do I give back um to the family to try and keep this in the family so that's basically where where it started and um so we uh at the time my brother was actually based in uh new york and we've we're sort of a, a fruit drying family we've always always been drying fruit and dehydrated dehydrator we've got five kids it's five kids in our family so <laughs> mum and dad always trying to keep us fed for school lunches and things so uh, it was always going back back to the orchard the family orchard on the farm and and just yeah you know, we had plum trees pear trees apple you're trees totally together. buying into the whole nelson like the typical nelson family right now exactly <laughs> yeah i mean um yeah we're, we're really blessed here in nelson it's a great yeah, place for growing, growing fruit right so um yeah so he was sending this uh, he was basically peeling these few jars like we've always done it right from kids um slicing them up put them in these dehydrators and and he's packaging them up and sending them to my brother who was madly craving fijoas because he couldn't get them over in new york um he'd been based there for about three years him and his wife um and from that point like he's there's a lot of expats over there that he was working with and connected with and they were like oh man help me some up with those fijoas so i'll be i haven't had them for years um they're like, oh, they like these are so good have you guys thought about like you guys need to select a brand on these little packs that you're sending us um you know share these with the rest of the world because they're amazing so we thought hey actually that's a good idea um we're having no idea on how to scale a fijoa product so um so we so dad sort of got went back to the drawing board and thought okay um what do we do if we want to really add value to every piece of fruit on on our land and so it all started from there we we built like a little custom dryer out of a fridge um and the, the, the little dehydrators we had were obviously too small um and we had a little uh, bench top hand peeler so it was, you put a piece wow. of fruit in and you sort of peel like this and it peels the fruit and then slicing by hand and we're manually doing everything. And so dad was dad was doing that. Him, him and uh and my wife actually was um heavily involved at the beginning, helping him just make the stuff. Uh and he was selling them at a farmer's market and and all of a sudden it was getting a lot of great feedback. Um, and that was the only product we had. We just had some dried fijol wow. stuff. Um you know, and so at that time, uh, my brother who specializes in brand design and things said, Hey, well. Um, let's come up with a cool brand name, something that's really iconic to New Zealand. Um, we wanted to be the leader for Fijoas in New Zealand. You know, we want to be known for doing something cool with Fijoas, yes. um, just because we're passionate about the fruit and mm. it kind of, uh, yeah, to help support the co-op that we were supplying and, and things like that. So um, that's where it all started. Um, at the time, I was feeding uh, a lot of gold queue fruit to our cows, uh, all, all the farms I was managing. And I was getting this fruit for nothing, mm. literally it was for free. It was just costing me the freight to get it there. And I was feeding over a hundred ton of this stuff. Wow. Um, and it, it, I, it just it always really amazed me by how good the fruit was and why I was getting it for free. It was, I was like, this is crazy. Mm. Um, so just to give um, your audience a bit of a feel for the, the, the level of the, the volume of waste that's happening here in New Zealand. Um, uh, and it's of no fault to, 
um, TNT growers or Zespri or anything like that. It's just the nature of how big that industry is. Mm. Um, and the waste stream for them is actually from, if you look at the percentages, it's very small. We're talking, you know, two to 4% um, of the total gold for growing in New Zealand. Is, but when it's a huge market, that's a huge amount, isn't that's it? That's right. Yeah. So just to give you an example, so Nelson grows under 5% of the total gold kiwi fruit here in New Zealand. And we, um, and out of that, out of that under 5%, we get roughly 3% of that of the third grade fruit, which is essentially in the upland landfill. Um, so that's anything that's got a blemish or not the right shape. The fruit inside is exactly the same. There's nothing, no difference. It's the same as what they're exporting as a premium. So, um, and that we're, we've got access to close to half, uh, like 500 tonne. Of that fruit just in Nelson, and we wow, grow less than five percent in all of New Zealand. So you can imagine the the sheer volume of fruit that uh, gets gets uh, put on dairy farms and fed to cows, at, um, which is great. You know, at least it's finding a home for some of it. But a lot of it is in the upland landfill because just the sheer number is a, a struggle to deal with through the is peak it, of the goldkeeper fruit season. It is partly though this weird thing, isn't it? Because I know years ago um, I was working with a client and his he had this machine that was a sorter for apples and they were going to use it and change it for something else. But this quest for the perfect size and the perfect shape and the perfect way it looks over whether it's actually a viable food source is quite incredible, isn't it? Like, like we have moved from, hey, this awesome apple, which is like half the size of this apple and it's a weird shape, but I picked it straight from a tree and mm. it still tastes delicious to mm. everything used to be uniform in the same size is kind of crazy. Oh, it is. It's, yeah, and it's wrong. We, it's, yeah. uh, it's no good for our environment. It's no good for um, the growers. Um, and it's it's not good for the consumers either. You know, they're paying uh, a high price for a fruit that they could get cheaper if um, if you were to utilize some of that fruit. Well, so, I was gonna, so like, oh no, I'm interrupting you. I'm, I'm loving the story and I'm like, this is so interesting because I lived in Taiwan for a while and I used to live in North Canterbury um, and North Lobin and there's lots of, of orchards there. And I used to go and get my apples from the orchards and other fruit. And I was in this um, deli in Taiwan and it was New Zealand apples and they were from the same orchard that I had been going to, but they wow. were the export quality apples. And I suddenly went, wow, this is like, like they were like four times the size. Like these were these huge meal, muff, meal apples. And I was like, it is interesting. You don't, New Zealanders don't see this because often even like the fruit we get in shops isn't always even that AA plus grade or whatever they're going to grade it as. Fruit, fruit, yeah, right? it's it's normally the second grade that we yeah. see uh, um, here in New Zealand supermarkets. Um, and obviously, you're paying, you're still paying a premium price for it. Yes, uh, which is another bit of a, a hate hate of mine. But uh, so I guess overall for us, it was like okay. Um, I guess we moved forward five years of us developing the mm -hmm. fragile product and trying to figure out how the heck do we do we scale this product? You know, we can't physically peel every individual fijara and slice each fijara. What um, no. a nightmare that is. So <laughs> we started investigating, okay, there's got to be some peeling equipment out there that can do this on scale. Um, turns out there isn't. Um, nothing, well, there's peeling machines, there's slicing machines, um, but there's nothing that can, you a piece of fruit where you feed into a machine, peels it, top and tails it, slices it, lays the slices on trays, and then loads those trays onto trolleys into our drives. We, we needed to automate that process because it's incredibly labor intensive. Mm. So for example, if we wanted to do um, 100 ton of gold kiwi fruit or something like that, which is it's, it's quite a bit of fruit, but it's not it's nothing in the scheme. You know, we're not making any impact at all, really, even doing 100 ton. It's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, so we would need around 80 staff for 10 hours a day putting manually putting slices on trays. And yeah, the cost, that the cost, the labor cost of that would just have to go on top of whatever you're pricing, right? Like it just would not make the food. It, it makes it completely unviable. Yeah. And so that's that's how we started and would was very, very manual. And so I had uh six people um every day putting slices on trays and um we had a small team and um we bought some peeling equipment from China, which we've had to strip down and rebuild. Um it was all in Chinese, so it was a nightmare, the electronics and things trying to trying to do it but we've got some great great minds in our company and um my dad's best mates are one of those one in a million engineers that Perfect. it's all in his head doesn't write a thing down but he can just go in there and fix and build anything so he's actually helped us custom build our own dryers and um adapt these pillars so from there um uh, these pillars still weren't really doing the job we're still how do we solve the the laying the slices on trays how, how do we 
how do we solve that problem so we can actually scale this thing and, and make a difference um so we basically had to go out and and design and build our own piece of equipment a machine technology that that will do this process um so that's what we've done we went out and we got a grant through Callens. they funded 40 percent of it um and we spent three years designing and building this world first piece of kit that would do this process um so we launched the machine last year uh it didn't it, it, the the goal was to 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 have one person feeding fruit at one end and um, pushing trolleys into our drives at the other and doing one piece of fruit a second um, which is what we had to get to to make this viable um, so as you can imagine every piece of fruit is a different shape and size and firmness um, so how do you pick that piece of fruit up how That's do you top tail it how do you peel it how do you lay the slice on a tray and then how do you automatically load those trays onto a trolley when you've got mm. 150 trays per trolley so we've used robotics so for example we've got a robotic arm now catching the the slices and then loading them onto the trolleys so we've, got, uh, we've got this piece of kit is amazing and it's a it's a world first machine um we're still proving it but uh this year we're launching the version two we've doubled the size of the thing and and we think we can get it down to one piece of fruit a second it seems to be working well so far with our trials so uh we launched that in two weeks so it's we're all very nervous to see how it's going to go um we've, uh, so yeah so if you move forward uh sort of six years from when we first started um uh, i was obviously both my brother and i were still flat out um without in our 70 hours a week doing our own jobs and i was so when i was traveling to other farms and things i was on the way um i'd stop into a supermarket and try and get us in there so it was that sort of thing we're all still working together to try and um so i was right from the beginning i've been doing sales um not really knowing what i'm doing um just trying to get these products that no one's ever heard of sold into a supermarket shelf not understanding the price point not understanding the the value proposition that i'm offering to the to the uh, to the buyers and having no real understanding of who our customer is or where it should sit on shelf um so that that whole process has taken us about two to three years to understand and get it to get right um and it's taken a couple of goes and it's cost us a lot of money um just through us not knowing what we, you don't know what you don't know until you start doing it right so um yeah we my brother and i ended up going to china we thought everyone thinks age is the place to go they love gold kiwi fruit um fijoles is always going to be a hard thing to sell outside yeah new zealand but we quickly saw the um that there's a huge gap in the market around um you know dealing with this waste stream and gold kiwi fruit you know they're easy to they're a lot easier to store you can you can process them over five four to five months um, whereas for jars, you've got to do it all, all from fresh and it's, you know, you've only got six weeks to do a whole year supply. It's very, very hard. Uh, it's a very fickle fruit to sort of process. Hence why no one's doing it. So most people think we're absolutely mad doing what we're doing. Um, but we don't care. Um, we like to be different and we think the whole route to, to traditional route to market into bricks and mortar is completely broken. Too many people are clipping the ticket. The supermarket is a completely dominating um, the, um, how the how the producers um, you know can can afford to even run. Um, it's the, the whole thing's disgusting and it's broken, and we just didn't want to go down that channel. So are um, you in stores or any stores or not like independent stores? Like, or have you just gone? Actually, we've done it for a couple of years or tried it. We're actually going to opt out and just focus on direct to consumer. Yeah, so that was our initial uh, sort of thing. So we. Initially, we we're like, you know, we didn't know much about direct to consumer. We didn't, I didn't even have a website at the time. This is only going back three years. Um, and, you know, this is prior to COVID. So things were a lot different. Um, yes. <laughs> and so I, I guess if we just step back a bit from that, I mean, we were, we were getting into supermarkets. So like everybody asked, like, mm. thinking that's the best route to go because we didn't know there was any other way. Uh, we thought, okay, we've got to prove the model in New Zealand. We know exporters want to see that we're selling in supermarkets. Mm -hmm. price and it's social like, proof, right? Like it's showing proof. that you you can um, you can do big enough orders. Like I've worked with other businesses where they've been prohibited going into supermarkets because the supermarket goes, great, I want this many. And they're going, well, we can't actually provide that. So the fact that you exporters are going to want to see that you can create enough product to keep on going. So that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's correct. Absolutely, um, it's a it's a big part of it. Uh, so that and that was our thinking at the time. So we, as I said, we we started getting to supermarkets. I employed a couple of reps to give me a hand, um, and I was doing this on the side. And poor old dad was at home trying to figure out how to do pay, POE on zero. And and you know he's a farmer. It's the last thing 
just uh, yeah, a bit clunky on the old computer. Yeah, it's uh, pretty rough. So he was calling me up at 10 30 at night. I was just give me a hand with PAYE. And so I was like, this is a nightmare. We can't yeah. run this business like this. So, no. Um, and th these are all the typical startup um, stuff. You know, we're just doing everything ourselves and it was, it was very, very challenging. Um, and it, Plus, we you were still working, right? Like, you still had a full time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I was managing two big dairy farms and um, we have Oakland's milk here in, in Nelson, mm. which where we pasteurize our own milk, we have our own factory and bottle and deliver. And so I was um, overseeing all of that. And it's- Yeah, so you were, um, it wasn't like you had like a whole lot of time as well. Had very limited time. Yeah. Um, so I was more governance and said, yeah, look, I'll get you guys in the food stuff. So I'll, mm. I had good relationships, I'm good at building relationships. And I thought, yeah, mm. I can do that piece. And, um, and because I was involved and in, that was a startup, um, with the dairy business so I had a really good understanding of what scale looks like um, you know it, it took us six years to scale that that business um, from from scratch and the sheer cost to do that is millions and millions and millions of dollars um, so I knew that's what it was going to look like we, we all did right from the start and we said okay well we we are we probably know we're only going to end up with 10% uh, equity share of this business um, to get it to where we need to but hey that doesn't matter if we can have an impact and we can uh, we'd much rather have a small piece of the pie um, than have 90% of a or 100% of a pie that doesn't um, generate uh, any any real revenue or or well, I say profit and and, uh, and and actually make a good impact because I think before because I I'm, this is so interesting but I think one of the things you've said here which is really interesting with this is that this isn't like with, regardless of the fact that it's clever, regardless of the fact that it's New Zealand made and that it's got huge options for export and all those things. At the in, at the base of this, this is an impact based business. This is a business that's actually helping reduce food waste in a way that people can actually access that food that would otherwise have either gone to cows, which is a way of doing it, or would have gone straight to just the, the rubbish bins, right? Yeah, well, lamp, yeah, it goes into landfill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and landfill isn't even great. Like, you know, like that's not even like going back into planting so you can have like beautiful things. That's like at the rubbish tip. Yeah, well, it's a major problem for Zespri because what happens is it starts creating this wild vine, um, which then creates diseases, which is very, very hard to manage. Um, so it's a big, big issue, especially as Zespri are growing. I mean, they've estimated uh, a four times growth over the next three years. Um, so, that, so it's only going to get worse. Um, and no one's found a solution for this. So, uh, and Goldcare Fruit is is the most nutritious fruit on the planet. It's, it's so delicious. It's, it, it's just insane, the nutritional benefits that come from gold kiwi fruit. Mm. Uh, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, vitamin C, potassium, B vitamins. Same with, same with Fijoas though. Like I think I read somewhere that two Fijoas pretty much gives you most of your vitamin C for the day. Yeah. Like, oh, it's they're, they're, crazy. They're, yeah, very high in potassium, high in folates, high in, um, in uh, uh, um, iodine. They're, they're, this is a great... A great fruit, especially for pregnant women. If you're yeah. pregnant, then eat lots of your jars because the iodine is really good for you. And the um, and in terms of it, like, because I was going to ask this, with the dehydration process, does it keep those nutrients in the fruit or does it kill them? No, it actually uh, it concentrates the nutrients. Wow. Okay. So, so if you said better. twenty grams of fresh versus mm -hmm. twenty grams of dried, oh, of course, about yeah. ten times more. And so, mm -hmm. just to give give your listeners another um, little fun fact, so. When you're drying fruit, it's incredibly expensive to remove water. Um, yeah. So for every 100 kilos we put into our, our of fresh that we put into our dries, we get about 7% back in actual product. Um, so we get 7 kilos back. Wow. Um, so we've got to dry. Wow, that's a, so you, yeah, that's a lot get, of fruit. So it's, it's concentrated by about 10 times. So, for example, that little 50-gram packet of uh, gold curry fruit slices, is, mm. there's a equivalent to four to five whole gold curry fruit in there. That's crazy. Um, well, you can but, tell, like, you can actually tell that, like, you it's you know, I've got a packet here for those of you that are just listening. Um, it is like a little packet, and it's a servings of two, but actually I would struggle to eat. I mean, in some ways, if you're snacky, you can eat the whole thing, but actually when you eat, like, probably a quarter of that, you kind of feel like you've had enough, because essentially that's like a couple of kiwi fruits. So, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so one of those packets is a about um, four times your daily intake of vitamin C. So you don't need much um, to, to get what you need, um, you know, your, to get your daily intake of vitamin C and potassium as well. So it's, it's great. It's an amazing, it's a super food, right? Um, yeah, so I'm going off on a few different tangents here, eh? It's, no, it's um, I, I warned you. I did say. So So can I ask a question because I'm quite interested about it. So we'll go back to export in a minute. But one of the things I noticed when I was on your website is that you also... Um, supply like kilogram or more bigger lots are those for 
manufacturers who are wanting to put dehydrated food into their like mueslis and things like that because i had a feeling that that might be why it was for what it was for yeah oh absolutely so where we are right now as a company yes. um and again for, we're all about how do we make an impact how do we improve the planet how, mm. how do we uh improve um the livelihoods of our community you know so everyone that we employ you know they we've got these strong values mm -hmm. uh, for little beauties that comes from our values growing up as a, mm -hmm. and our family and um so we want to pay everyone a living wage we want everybody to come to work and, and love what they're doing and be part of this movement um which is leave no fruit left unpicked um <laughs> it's like so, you know Lee, yeah i love that that's a great saying <laughs> yeah well look we we've um we're we growers ourselves you know and, yeah. and we we we've seen it from us so so we can relate with all the other growers we want to add value over the course of if you think of the dried fruit category as a whole um it's a pretty boring category mm -hmm. it hasn't really changed for no the last 50 years i mean the, the closest well, we dried, came to dried apricots uh, yeah well the, yeah dried apricots um dates prunes yeah. raisins that's, that, that's kind of yeah. what you think and it, it all gets classed in that sort of baking sort of type section and it's not really a snacking i mean mm -hmm. you do snack but you might put some on a on a snacking board or something like that but um so because of that it becomes a commodity mm -hmm. and if you if you strip it right down um people that are buying that stuff uh like all the all the the large distributors and things supermarkets they're not going to new zealand to buy it because no. they, they, they go to chile yeah. or serbia um so if you think raspberries boys and berries for example the local growers can't compete they get completely undercut by these big players here in new zealand supplying the market um to get it as cheaply as possible and it becomes a commodity which is a real shame because the fruit that we grow here in New Zealand is the best fruit in my view in the world Incredible. Um, yeah. for the same reason that we had the best wine in the world you know we've got great sunshine we've got great soils uh it's just a, a, a amazing climate for for doing this stuff um so the the whole thing for us is how do we shift how do we make this dried fruit category exciting how do we turn it from a, a um, commodity into a non-commodity we're never going to be a volume player here in New Zealand so mm -hmm. so why are we competing with the volume players um, we need to we need to be a quality player and and really add value as much as possible. So for us to do that, we can't just sell a sell a price in a snack bag. We have to be able to look at every use of the fruit, so the skins, the seeds. Um, so so what we now and this has kind of evolved over the life of Little Beauties. Um, we had no idea we'd be doing this stuff three years out, um, which is more in the ingredient space so we're now kind of competing with lots of fresh airs because so we're yeah so because we've got a waste stream of a waste stream so all our skins that we peel we've got i'm doing 25 ton a week of wow. of skin and on that skin there's still some good flesh on there um it, there's a lot of value in that in that fruit um so what we're now doing is we're we're squeezing all the the last little bit of juice that we get out of those skins and we're now dry spray drying that that juice and creating a beautiful um dissolvable um 100 um powder so that's wow. that can be put into pet food it can be um it can be put into music bars collagen powders or whatever it is um, and we're able to do that across all our fruits um now it's a puree's concentrates so then you know that's amazing because it's got the flavor it's got the nutrition mm. um and it's and it's also cutting down on the the huge supply chain issue especially driven by covid now with these big companies not even being able to source this mm. the purees and, and powders that they that they want um so they're now going to their back doorstep and that's also driven largely by millennials who, who globally is kind of driving this this snacking market the well just the fmcg market they they want to know where is this fruit coming from? from? Yeah. You know, are these guys sustainable? Um, you know, what's their following on? They so they they they're jumping around Google. Are they on Amazon? Are they on Woolworths? Are they um what what's the organic social like? You know, who are they? They want to get behind the brand and see if their values align with ours. Um, and then you know, that that's that's just the new mindset of how um most of the people buying our products are thinking um, I, so i so agree with that because i know and, I, and this is i've said this before on this podcast many times but if i go to a website and i can't see the story and know resonate with the story and see the people who are making it i won't buy from them because mm -hmm. i don't want faceless products um, I don't want to buy a product and find that it was actually secretly owned by a big factory in Wirree, pretending mm. to be a small, beautiful 
business, you know, and even though your business potentially could go very, very large, the fact that it's family owned makes it something that I want to connect with. Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's something really powerful with that. Um, mm. And it's like we're, uh, you know, we're set up in the US. So we're, we're exporting to the US, we're exporting to Australia, exporting to Japan, um, Taiwan. Um, I'm now working in Vietnam. That's and and, uh, and and that's just a general thing. Um, and I guess this is where the direct to consumer piece comes in um, and how crucial that is. And for us as a company, like we've got, uh, New Zealand's a small place. We've only got five and a half million people. Mm-hmm. Our products are really niche. Um, it's, it's relatively expensive, you know, yeah, it's a luxury it's a, item. It's a small market in New Zealand really, isn't it? And also New Zealanders yeah. don't appreciate um, because we do, we can eat kiwi, fresh kiwi fruit and fresh vegoas, and even though it's a short, we don't actually appreciate the hard work that goes into dehydration. Either do oh, we? Look, you know, like we don't understood, it. Yeah, it's, people have no idea the level of work that goes into putting, it looks, it looks the product looks simple and yes. it's just some dry fruit in a bag. Um, but the work that goes into getting that product in a bag and salt is just insane. Um and this has been a massive learning curve for us as well. And like, we're still, um, you know, we're, we're probably still 12 months away from being profitable. Um, mm. So we've had to raise a lot of money. You know, we've raised just under 5 million in the last two years. Um, and we're in, in the midst of another $4 million capital raise to just to try and, and uh, keep things going because we've got a, uh, all the fruit that we purchase is, in, is generally in, the, in that first three to six months of the year. Um, and that has to, so we've got to predict what do we think we can sell over the next 12 months? That's hard. And we have to buy all that fruit, support these growers and, and commit to it. Um, store the fruit, cool store it through, uh, you know, some of it's been frozen, some we're storing ourselves in our cool store, and um, which is all, you've got all these upfront costs and you've got to process all this stuff. Um, Plus all the amazing way that you've had to do to, to create your robotics and your machinery and all those sort of things. And, you know, we talked about before, it's very different selling at a market where you can kind of control and do like a little bit every week and, and those sort of things to, hey, I would like to have, um, you know, four tons of your product ready to ship or a container full. Like that, those exactly. are two very different situations. Yeah. Oh, look, and that was the conundrum. It's catch-22, right? We're too small to be able to supply a container if we got an order. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we really needed that, that order to be able to scale. So yeah. you've got this, and, like, and we can't afford to do, to do any of it. So we're kind of like, what? how are we going to grow this thing? Mm. Um, we've, and that's why we realized that, hey, we need to get out in the market. We need to find what are, what are our key pillars at a point of difference that's really going to add value mm. um, to try and pull some of this investment in. And we've just been, uh, if I'm honest, it's, I think, having strong values as a company and, and having good minds Very around important. it has probably been the most important piece for us to drive investment. Um, and finding investors that share those those same values where they're not, you know, we've got a 50-year plan. We're, we're not, we're in this for the long game. We're not pissing about. It's, um, and so it's finding investors that uh, want to join that that plan, um, that strategy, and, and they believe in what we're doing and they can see that value. Um, we, I think for us, we've, we've always thought global. We, we know that we to really make an impact to our growers here in New Zealand, we have to, we've got to go global. We've got to tell that story. We've got to push that message, um, which is probably the hardest thing to do um, from a marketing perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm head of marketing. That's that's my main, well, I'm head of marketing and sales. So we have these two different hats. Um, and yeah. I'm also doing all the logistics into the US, which is a nightmare. Um it's, it's not a fun job. Um, no, no. I try and make it fun, it is, but it's, it's, it's just not. You know, I've dealt with, um, at the moment, I'm dealing with two big insurance claims where two of our pallets, um, chocolate skews, got left on the tar- tarmac for four hours in LA. Uh, you know, that's 50 grams worth of product just yeah, stuck in four hours. And yeah. that's after we uh, filled it with dry ice and wrapped them and the whole thing. And just air freighting stock over yeah, the start. So, yeah. Um, okay, can I ask a question about the organic social media? Because you've obviously said you're in charge of marketing. And, you know, and the, I mean, obviously with your brother's help, the branding's beautiful. Like Little Beauties is gorgeous. The, the way the packaging looks is amazing. And I think that's, that is really important in terms of that kind of pick up the shelf and want to buy it. But in terms of the organic social media, what has been kind of a ch- challenges or things that have surprised you by having to grow that? And what have you had to do? Like, what are some stuff that you've had to do that you didn't think you'd have to do? Yeah, yeah, that's, seven that's, questions yeah that's a, a good question. So, <laughs> um, I start there. So, if I strip this back from two years, well, two and a half years ago, three years ago, um, we we had my brother set up an Instagram account. It was probably about 
eight years old and we had maybe six images on there and maybe under 100 followers and i don't know i'm a i'm a dairy i'm an ex-dairy farmer right I, i've spent the last 16 years on the land um and a lot of farms that have no reception i i had no interest nice. in facebook or instagram so jealous so, so i'm coming in completely green here not having a clue about how organic social works um and i didn't want to really do anything I, it's just not i'm not that person i'm not the guy that is 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 engaging on instagram or facebook so that was really really hard for me to sort of initially pick up and understand how that worked but i knew that um what what led me to be like man we really need to start telling our story through this platform and start communicating with our customers was largely from farmers markets so when we first, when i first like, like I stopped, I realized that, holy shit, I need to come on board and, and be full-time in this business to really help grow the sales and, and get this thing moving. Um, so when I came on board, I was like, well, how are we going to do this? We're getting good sales at the market. We're talking direct to consumer. Um, they get to taste the product. We know that 90% of the people that are coming to coming to us at the stand, um, one, they're asking me all these questions about the, about the product and, and us as a company and as people, as humans. Um, and, and then they walk away with, with product. Like, and if I hadn't stopped, if I said, hey, yo, do you want to come over and try a sample? They were just walking. Yeah. I'm like, man, there's something in this. Like, we know that when people try the product, they they buy it. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, some, some days we're doing $1,000 an hour at the market. So awesome. I set up five markets throughout New Zealand initially just before COVID. Mm. And, um, and it was going really well. It was great. And from that, we were landing a lot of B2B wholesalers because they're like, they, they'd go to these markets and try it and be like, man, we want this product. So that was a way for us to go direct rather than having to go through a broker or go through distributors. And yeah. we're and same, and you know, farmers markets, uh, probably 60% of them are tourists coming from US, coming from uh, EU, uh, UK. Yeah. So it's a good way to kind of get the international feel like, is this going to hit an international Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's the best place. It really is. I mean, I that's what's grown a little bit from this at the very start with, the, with these farmers markets and being able to network and connect. Um, we actually picked up one of our um, big investors through a farmers market. And that was oh. him just coming along, trying the product and going, holy shit, this is awesome. What are you guys I doing? I love that. Because I actually bought Picks peanut butter before anyone really even knew, before it was in mag and things from a Takapuna farmer's market, like in the maybe in the first year that he was operating using that same structure. And, you know, that that is, it does like, you know, COVID's really basically shit all over that. But, yeah. you know, yeah. those farmer's markets for people, it is a viable, viable place to test it, check mm. your price points, mm. get feedback, get that loop. For those people that are at that stage, don't feel like ashamed or feel like that's a weird way to do it. It is really good market validation, isn't it? Like it's so oh, important. It's the, it's the best market validation yeah. right? because you're getting across every demographic. Um, the sheer number of people that, well, we're, we're so fortunate here in Nelson. The, the Nelson market is- I the love the Nelson in, market. It's the best market in the country. It really <laughs> it is. It is. It's an awesome um, market. So we're, we're just so fortunate to have this great market and it's, it's still great to this day. It's- um, we're just not getting the, the overseas, you know, it's right. down 50% because we're just not seeing those. Um, so we, we still go to the market every single weekend. We're, wow. we're actually committed to to um, supporting our locals and, and we do a really good special for those guys. We don't make any money, but it's an opportunity for us to, um, yeah, support, support our community and, and um, chat and get out there and, and keep doing what we're doing. But um, so I guess right for as far as organic social, it's like, okay, how do I replicate, re replicate the... Uh, the farmer's market online how, how do we do that and how do we get the message in the story and, and all that sort of stuff so and obviously that's when you dive into shit i need an agency now to manage this stuff um they you know they know all the key pillars they know the the correct uh tone of voice to get our brand across i'm not a copywriter um shit, how do we produce the content you know i i, I don't have time to be piss, pissing about trying to take all these little videos on my phone and and figure all this stuff out on my own so um at the time when I first started doing these markets, um, a really good friend of mine, well, he's become one of my best mates as a videographer and photographer. And um, he happened to be, I just finished building at my, my first home and, and he came to, to do some photography for the builder and, and we got chatting and I said, mate, do you want to do some uh, photography for me? Because I, I badly need to mm -hmm. get something up on Instagram. Uh, and, uh, and that's where our, our marketing journey together has started. And um, so we, we started just, started trying doing things differently um we wanted we're like we need to get dried fruit make it exciting how do we stop that scroll um and so we thought okay we need to um have like we want i want a product bursting out of the packet so how do you do that 
oh shit, we need to find something that's going to throw the product in the air. And it was like, oh man, we need a camera that can then capture that frame. Um, and, and so we started breaking it all down and um, to the point where I literally built a catapult to throw fruit <laughs> in the air. I love um, it. And then so we we're like, okay, well, how do we build this catapult now? And it works awesome. It runs on air pressure. And I got my engineers that building our, uh, helping us build this, this peeling kit to, to design and build something for us really cheaply. And it worked awesome. And I was like, okay, for this to go for all, I need Jacinda to come and fire this. Um, so when Jacinda was coming down elections, we managed to get some product to um, Winston Peters. He handed it to, um, to, to Jacinda. And anyway, she took it and she's like, guys, I'm coming down. And at the time, we were working with Pix Peanut Butter at his food factory. We we're doing some of our packaging there. So we set up shop there with this uh, with this catapult and uh, you know all the lighting and the filming and everything. It looked awesome. And she, and she came down and fired it. We managed to get it down. And, <laughs> oh, and, awesome. Uh, so, and that's kind of set us on our journey. Like, man, we can do this. Like, we can do this ourselves. I don't need to pay uh, an agency five grand a month to, to produce a, a basic uh, set of images and a, and a crappy story video. Um, we, we I can really think owner stories are always better. Like, I think, you know, like we, we overstress that an agency is needed, but actually an owner's story and an owner's insight, like, you know, you can, some even with an agency, if they're not coming back and asking for all of that, so the times so you're still having to give all that time, if you're not doing it, it's not going to feed the growth that you need. Oh, it's exactly. It's millennials or your target market. The, the, the biggest issue in this country, well, globally, is especially in New Zealand, is that this stuff is very unregulated. And yes. since COVID, the problem is no one knows anything about e-commerce. No one knows how to do uh, email strategy. No one knows SMS. No one knows how to go out and produce content, the right type of content, produce the copy, uh, do organic social, manage all the inventory, manage dispatch, compliance, all the stuff it's that goes with it. such a big job. It's, there's so many moving parts. And yeah. it was like, well, what do I spend money on? What's going to give me a return? And marketing is a hard thing. It's very hard. There's, there's so many presupposing factors that come into marketing and it's, it's, it can be hard to track uh, what sort of return you're going, to, you're going to get in the first instance because growing a brand is it takes time and you're it investing does. in that it growth does. and it but feels at the same painful. time yeah most businesses can't even afford to do that they can't justify it they don't have the cash flow we've been fortunate enough to get investment i've been able to throw a bunch of money at that mm. and test it and try it um so then that's what we started doing i think it's uh, when we we launched, we managed to get our first website. And I was like, man, I need a website so we can start selling and I can start advertising and things. We started managing Facebook ourselves. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I was giving it a crack and we're actually getting sales. I think um, we, and then COVID hit and it stuffed everything. We had, we, I had to lose all my farmer's markets, which was generating most of the revenue at the time. Um, supermarkets deleted us literally in every store. Uh, I think we we're in about a hundred stores at that point. We just got deleted. That was it. They just didn't order for about three months. We were just like, but okay we've got zero dollars coming in i've got at that point we had about 10 staff um you know these huge costs and we couldn't pay any of the bills it was a nightmare um and i was like we have to move the dial quickly how can we bring some fast sales in um and so it was really fortunate at the time with that new zealand made products page was oh, yes. had gone nuts. yeah uh, you know choice now and so we posted something on that i did 70 grand in, in under a week online orders <laughs> we had about a thousand orders it was, was like, crazy. Like I have clients yeah. who I have one client who did her entire previous year's income in six weeks. During oh, that I believe lockdown. it. I believe no, it because everyone crazy. was so engaged on that platform yeah. at that time. And but what that did was it, it made me realize um, the potential. It's like okay, if we can get the right customers on board and get people supporting our company and and really understanding what we're trying to do and mm. and and giving them a lovely product that they that they. We know that when people try the product, they generally love it. You know, they yeah, come it's back. delicious. So 50% of our customer base, um, when they get to the website, 50% of them will come back and purchase again, which is which is fantastic. And we're trying to maintain that as much as possible. And to, to do that, there's email strategy, there's SMS, there's good content, there's communicating, running campaigns, Facebook ads, Google, but it just goes on and on. Um, so and and so that's kind of been my life over the last two years is producing content and operating all those moving costs and understanding um, just understanding that that whole platform and that system um, not just here in New Zealand Australia but also in the US because the US piece is very different you know yeah. no one knows what a fujara is over there no uh, well, very even um, and gold kiwi fruit's about twenty four down on the list of all fruits that they buy it's very it's not very popular fruit in the US in fact zestbury 
uh, which is one of the last places Zespri's gone to. Uh, it's a very hard market to crack. Um, but, you know, they've, they've done a great job. So we're kind of going on the back of their marketing in some ways in the US. Um, but again, like, what do you, you get products to the US and then what? Like, you've got the, you've got a 3PL, so you've got to have a fulfillment center. You've got to find, so for us, it was like, okay, we need a fulfillment center. What state? You know, who's that? Yes. Like, like, where's it going to go? Which gonna, one's going to be our state. biggest state? Like, and there's like a lot of states to choose from. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think this is one of the things I know we're almost at a time and I'm, I'm very wary of that, but because I do, we do a bit of Facebook advertising for a few clients in that market. And, and one of the things I say is you're like, in America, a small audience size for Facebook is a million people. So like a lot of the training that they teach you for, for Facebook ads is based around that a small audience size is a million. In New Zealand, that's a that's a 20% of our population. So it doesn't even, we can't even use those strategies in New Zealand. But mm. in America, it's like, you do like a refined audience and it's still like 45 million people. <laughs> like oh, that's, yeah, just, that's, that's right. You know? And it's like, yeah. how is my money going to get to the right person? Doing yeah, it's, that? Kind, of, it's kind of find it's, a needle in the haystack. Yeah, and states, you know, you can do just one state and still trying to get it, working it through so that this, it's just huge. Like the concept for us, New Zealand, for this, it, it's just a mind-blowing thing. Like not even forget the logistics, just look at like, so you've got logistics, you've got marketing, you've got distribution, you've got your freight problems, you've got keeping everything stable. It's a huge thing. Yeah. And I guess if I look back, um, we wouldn't have entered the market um, uh, as quickly as we did. And I think uh, we were just, again, we want to do things differently. We want to go direct. We, we want to break the system and test and try and 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 do, some, do something different. Um, so that's, that's what we did. We went over there with the idea that, Okay, and this is working with Beachhead Advisors for New Zealand Trade and Enterprise and the mm, US. And they're very North good, America. aren't they? They can really help NZT. Yeah, they, they can. They yeah. are really good. But again, it's very subjective because they're all specialists in one thing. Yes. And they don't always join together. So we're getting pulled and all these different directions. You've got to be doing this. You've got to be doing this. You've got to be doing this. And it's it's like, well, this is kind of contradicting what this other specialist has just told me yeah. today. Yeah, um, so, hard. So you've got to be a little bit careful. But I think... Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've spent invested a lot of money in marketing, a um, lot lot of money producing content. Even though we've done it a lot in, in house, and we've been fortunate. I mean, design well. They've got their own graphic design mm. team. They've got their own animation team. So we produce all the raw footage. I can give it to them. They do the last twenty percent, give back, and they are implemented all. Uh, we've been working with three different agencies. Um, one helping with media spend because I was spending seven hours a day trying to manage yeah, Facebook. Nice. I don't have time thing, for that. Yeah. So it was just trying to find. I didn't want a generalist. You yeah. need specialists. You that do. I agree. Um, yeah. Certain things, but that comes at a massive cost, and it's very hard to justify the the ROI from that. So, um, but for us, we just had to start building something and get going, and and it's largely collecting data. It's, it's understanding, getting as much data as we could, and that's what that was our approach in the US. Was we need data. Let's we can do that direct to consumer to get that data. You know, uh, really get uh, mature our pixels on our websites and and start pulling through this data across Google and Facebook. Um, what we found when we first entered the US uh, 18 months ago, uh, one, we're in the wrong state. Uh, so the cost of logistics it was number one. Um, so for example, we set up in Memphis because in Memphis it's um, that's where FedEx is, is set oh, yeah. up. And the reason for that is it's very central. It can get to any state within within four days. Um, it's pretty temperature wise. It's pretty stable. Um, it does snow there, but it doesn't get too crazy hot oh, there either. Yeah. Um, so it made a lot of sense. Uh, state taxes is, is, is really cheap there. Sales tax is cheap as well. So it's all, if you start, don't even get me on tax, it's a nightmare. Um, and they're all different. Every state's different. Every state has and their some own sales tax. Some don't have tax, tax and some have heaps. Like it's crazy. Um, you've yeah. got to have a US customer. You basically need, uh, really, you need a, a US office. So a little bit of US office to, to, um, to, you know, to, to even trade in the US, um, which we don't have. And I've mm. sort of, working on a bit of a gray area on how we're trading in the US at the moment. But um, the goal for us was we need to be discovered. Um, so we can do that by going direct to consumer, um, you know, getting some sales on the board, and then um, that will drive people into bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. So that was our, our focus. Um, the problem with that model, one was the location we were in. So we're finding that the bulk of the people who were buying our products was actually in California. I was so going to say, trying to be California. So yeah. we're, and because of COVID, we're stuck to one port, which is LAX in, yeah. in California. So we're sending it to 
sending it to LA and then taking it uh, to Memphis, putting it on a truck to LA, get all the way to fucking Memphis, and then they pack it up and send it back to. And then it was yeah. taking four days to get to the customer, and then they'll yeah, so off. crazy. So it was taking too long, so mm-hmm. like this is not working. And then on top of that, our price point was really really high because we were working on well, we need this price to make this work, which is again the wrong approach. That, that if you you got to you got to commit to twelve months of at a loss if you're going to enter mm-hmm. any export market. So. And we hadn't taken that into consideration. So the price point was too high. We didn't have any social proof because I was only selling on Facebook. Um, and you know, the compare is so the, the the acquisition cost is a lot higher offshore as well. Because and also, like demand. I know, like with Facebook ads, for example, like you know, in America, we do not understand how they are used so used to more marketing messages. Like we are always about three or four years behind in New Zealand. So, you know, here we don't want to see someone seeing an ad, for example, more than five times in a week. In America, you can go up to 10 times a week on a Facebook ad for it to be at that saturation point. Or, you know, here it's about, you know, um, 15 to 22 times of points of contact to make a purchase. In America, it's plus that. So, like, it it starts at 22. So, like, it's really hard to understand. And the sheer amount of money you've got to pour into getting that point where they remember who you are is just crazy. Oh, that's right. So, for example, I mean, it's a natural science because we know that roughly 80% of our um, customers are female Mm. and uh, of which 75% are purchasing on a mobile device. So how do we get somebody to buy a product I've never heard of before um, at a really high price point um, within 30 seconds on a mobile device? Pretty hard. Um, Yeah, it sounds impossible almost um and but that's the reality that we're dealing with and um so again it's understanding the function of your site you know there, there's a science to, to make that happen on your website so you have to have a good understanding of so we're on our third website build to make sure we can streamline that um, experience for the customer um and we think we've got there now which is great so we'll build a us site specifically just for the us and on because the messaging on little beauties the name little beauties means nothing to it could mean pretty little girl to someone yeah yeah it means nothing right kiwis know little oh you little beauty you know it's like a good kiwi saying and um so there's some education there um they can't even pronounce fijoa they're like he joa they're like he they they just can't they just don't even know what it means they're like what is this thing so it's yeah it's been a real challenge so we um we invest a lot of money we're aiming for around twenty thousand customers in the first six months um online um, we only achieved about 2000 and uh, so we and we quickly realized the state was wrong um, logistics was a nightmare so I was like we need to stop so we said we stopped for six months um, I came back we we improved the website to the uh, with the right functionalities we um, I changed states we changed our whole logistics partners so that was a really really crucial point for anybody that's exporting you need to have a good a really good local logistics partner you need a really good uh, uh, local logistics partner at the other end in LA, so the freight forwarder, and you need a really good broker um, because the broker is what's going to um, help get through your, you know, get your um, your prior notice and all that all that stuff sorted through customs. Um, and then on top of that, you need to be registered with the FTA and you need to have a good process there um, because otherwise your product can get stuck in customs and then it's yes, just I can imagine. It's buggered. So. That wow. took a long. That that it's I had huge. to interview. Yeah, I interviewed thirteen different three PLs in the US because wow. what we needed was a three PL that could one prep for B two B, prep for Amazon, and also um, prep for direct to consumer, and also have um, temperature control storage. So I was almost trying to find a unicorn. So um, yeah, it's huge. I found eighty percent of that from a three PL in LA, which is great now. They're only about thirty five minutes from the from port. So we fly. I can't even need a container. I can't. Can't get a container, can't get a reefer, so we're forced to fly. And there's only one port in the whole US that's that's open, uh, essentially that we can get. Just LAX, so. LAX, so so we're in some ways it's forced us ha- our hand to to market in California, but it, it, and I've, and the other side of that is California is really expensive. It's sales tax is the highest, state tax is the highest, um, but there's a lot of wealth there as well, and there's a lot of expat New Zealanders. There's a lot of there, uh, a lot of liberal people that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we really like coming to New Zealand. Like coming to New, like Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah, they love the sustainability aspect. They they love that you know, hundred percent natural and all that stuff. Yeah. So so it made it still made a lot of sense. So so that's what we did. That's what we did, and it's um, 
So for example, last week I went and bought a freezer and gave it to my 3PL so they could store ice packs. Oh, because they've they've yeah. got all our stuff stored in just a, a room that with an air conditioner to keep it stable, you know, and it's it's this sort of thing. So it's it's really granular and it's it's painful and it's just, you know, they're they're a day behind us. Um yes, and so so you've only got to a three hour window, yeah. unless you want to get up at like two in the morning, you've only got a three to four hour window every morning to sort of communicate with these guys and everything's done through a Zoom call or it's just it's yeah. hard. It's, it is really hard. So now, we um, could literally talk about this all day, Tristan. This is so interesting, but I also know you've got a very busy day ahead. Um, can I ask you a question just because obviously we've got all your export and it's so interesting. And I think it's so good for you to hear that cost and dedication that you need to do it. If people are wanting to buy your product in New Zealand and in Australia, like how would they do that? Is, is, is New Zealand, do you go, can they use your New Zealand site in Australia or does it yes. like? Yeah, so our New Zealand website covers New Zealand and Australia and we offer free, if you spend 65 bucks, if you're in Australia, you get the free shipping, which by the way, we cover, that costs us $40 for the shipping. Yeah, yeah, so you can make a loss on that. Yeah. money on every order going out to Australia. But um, for us, that's the important thing is to, um, is to get a customer. And for them to try our products and to jump on board with us because, um, yeah, we just need cash. We're, we're, we're not, we don't need to make profit right now. We just, well, profit would be nice, but the reality is it's not going to happen because you're in the growth phase, you're in the brand awareness stage so that people are doing that. So also that people start going, Hey, I've actually got a deli down the road. Um, we, I'm going to tell them to stop you. I've written one down that I'm going to tell you at the end of this, like after. We oh, amazing. It. Yeah. So I like, mean, that's it yeah. though, right? Like that is the, because then that all that's all that product can go to one place and people can buy it from there, but you need ambassadors. You're basically creating a worldwide web of brand ambassadors by giving them product at a, at a very valuable price for them to test. And you're trusting them the goodness of your product. Yeah, exactly. And we're, I guess we're always banked on the on how good our product is. We know that um, there's no one else in the, on the planet right now crafting these products in this format. We're the only only company in the world producing Amazing. these goalkeeper slices and the only only company in the world doing a, a feed jar in this format. There's plenty of people drying goalkeeper and, and into a slice, but just not in this format and, and to this quality. Um, so we're all about quality. That's We focus heavily on nutrition. Um, we, we test everything. We... Uh, all the fruit coming in, you know, if it's not at the right bricks level, then we we actually temper that fruit until it's right before we process okay. it. So it's, we go to every length possible, um, and we're also trying to change all our orchards over organic, which is a lot of work, as you can imagine. Huge uh, amount of work. It's just that it's again, it's that whole thing of like you can say spray free, but once you go to organic, there's a whole lot of other stuff you've got to say about it. Oh uh, yeah, and it's yeah. twice as much work, but yeah. that's we think it's the right thing to do. Um, Long term, but. Yeah, so, so the best way to find us is, yep. uh, and if, if you're in Australia, is to jump online at um, www.littlebeauties.kiwi. Awesome. Um, and if, if, if anyone's listening in the US right now, we're littlebeautiesfruit.com. Um, and otherwise, you could basically find us in a new world. Um, we're, we're in majority of new worlds in the South Island. North Island has been a bit of a battle. To, since it COVID. always is. South Island, yeah, North Island, always things, but, a battle, um, yeah. Uh, and we've just landed. We've just launched in Costco in Australia uh, this week. Exciting! Actually. So, that's exciting. Um, yeah, so we've got a. Um, I can show you. Actually. I'll just grab it. It's a, basically a giant bag of our gold kiwi fruit. So ah, uh, a giant so, bag sounds so that's, amazing. That's, uh, 200 gram. Uh, um, so there's probably about, I don't know 20, 20, 30 odd gold kiwi fruit equivalent in this. That's great are, to add in a lunchbox for kids or just to actually have you going away or tramping and things like that. Oh, yeah, quite a that's size thing. difference. But yeah. um, so we're really excited about that. We think that um, we, we really hope it goes well. It's just a trial at the moment. They've taken a couple of containers just to give it a go. And um, yeah, we're really, that's a, a big deal for us. So yeah, we're excited to see how that, how that goes. But, that's um, awesome. That's awesome. So thank you so much for being a part of the show, um, Tristan. It's been amazing. I've really enjoyed this because it's it's shared some challenges and some things. Plus, it's just a really exciting story. So thank you so much for being part of it. And um, yeah, all the best. I, I, it's just going to be exciting to watch the progress. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we're, we're really excited. It's a, we're, we're pumped with, um, even though it's incredibly stressful and sometimes it feels like we're going week by week uh, just to keep keep uh we've got 30 staff now and just try and keep the pain there. so it's yeah um but hey it's uh, that's the journey we're on and um you know we're all doing we're not doing this for money we're doing this because we love doing it so um yeah no it's been a pleasure Amazing. talking to you and i'm sorry for sort of jumping all around the show and I no, 
my podcast always jump around the show. It's part of the secret magic of it. It's my fault. It's because I distract you half the time because I want to go somewhere else. So do not worry. It was awesome. Thank you so much. No, no problem. We work with a huge variety of people and our businesses that we work with often have very either very humble options of what they want to do and others have worldwide domination in their minds. One of the reasons I love talking to Tristan today and talking about the journey of Little Beauties is it's a real reminder of what it actually costs for a business to take on different markets overseas and how hard that can be if you're creating and manufacturing. If you've got a business that you want to have and become known as a worldwide brand or even just very well known in other countries, listening to this podcast I hope gave you an idea of some of the things you may need to be able to expect to do. For example, not necessarily having 100% ownership of it or being able to invest and, and have money to invest in creating machinery and other systems what teams you need to have. Of course, you don't need that for a successful business. You can have a business that stays smaller and it's about making those conscious decisions around the size of your business, what you want to do and what you don't want to do to make that happen. I'm really looking forward to hearing from some of you over the years of how you're growing your business and I hope this was serving as an inspiration to you. If you want to talk about this, please come along to Map It Marketing, our Facebook group. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do remember to subscribe. And I would love it if you do like the podcast to please review it as well on your platform of choice. It helps other people trust it and listen to these podcasts too. Have a great week. If you love what you heard today, be sure to hit subscribe. And if you love this episode in particular, I'd love it if you shared it on social media. Remember to tag me in so I can say thank you. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.